Interested in learning three ways that real estate can make you financially independent? Check out this week's episode with Michael Hernick, the financial mechanic. This is the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast, the show that highlights Saskatchewan real estate. Looking to buy your first house, your next investment property? Subscribe to never miss an episode. Here's your host, Ron Caroni. Welcome back to the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast. And today, the financial mechanic, Michael Hernick, joining us today. And we're talking about financial independence through real estate and why real estate real estate is a great vehicle for us. So first off, Michael, thanks so much for joining us. I know we've been uh, friends for, for a few months here through the Saskatchewan Fire Facebook group, as well as I do enjoy your YouTube videos. So it's a real honor to have you here. Thanks, Ron. Looking forward to it. Wonderful. Mike, we're going to kick it off with a very easy one here. The importance of financial independence and how real estate, well, it's not the only vehicle that can get us to financial independence, is a good way to get us there. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm uh, very passionate about financial independence and just real estate in general. So yeah. Uh, do you want me to just jump in or? Let's explore the topic of financial independence because a lot of people throw the idea around of early retirement, but what does that actually mean? And do you even really want to be retired at a young age or, you know, could we phrase it better to say financially independent? Let's explore that topic. Yeah, that's a great point, Ron. So I think financial independence, retire early fire movement has gained a lot of traction in the past few years. And certainly it caught my attention and hence why we sort of created a local Facebook group surrounding it. And, uh, Truthfully, I think it's a bit of a loaded word in the sense, and as you alluded to, um, you know, I think financial independence and the retirement piece are somewhat succinct, but also can be split apart. And what I mean by that is, uh, as, as you said, financial independence is, is really gives one the ability to make choices on their own, regardless of if you sort of use this, you know, word retirement. And I think one of the things we talk about in the group uh, is what does retirement mean to someone? Uh, because ultimately, retirement can mean a lot of different things. You know, for some, it may mean you know drink, you know having a mojito on, in the Caribbean versus others. You know, still enjoy what they do and really um, you know like their employment or whatever you know venture they're in. And really, ultimately, that could be retirement. And I think to me and uh, myself, I guess, when I think of financial independence, retire early, to me, it's just really giving one the ability to, to, to make their own choices and have the option uh, to, to, to work if they want to, to play if they want to, and just really take control of their life. And I think real estate is, is a great vehicle to do so. And I think it's an important point to make. You, you talked about mojitos on the beach, and it's everyone maybe has this idea that if I could just get to that beach and if I could just drink enough mojitos, but you know, after a month of drinking mojitos on the beach, like that's not much of a life. You need more than that to fill up that space. And while that might be something that would be nice to do once in a while, that's not something that necessarily you want to aspire to, to just do for the rest of your life, just to be able to check out from that side. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. I think a lot of times, you know, as entrepreneurs or anyone that's in real estate or just as individuals, we sort of think about this idea of wouldn't it be nice to, you know, like you said, you know, be on the beach or whatever the case may be. But ultimately, I think you're right. There's a lot of folks that have done that. And 
at some point you do get bored if you want to call it that. And uh, so I think, I think the word retirement and using financial independence, you know, it, it's different for everyone. And I think, you know, it, if anyone is able to get to any sort of level of financial independence, I think the ability to make your own decisions, whether you really love what you do versus, you know, you know, go golfing or go to the beach, whatever, whatever really suits your, uh, your, your, your agenda is, is really the option to do so. And I think, you know, to me, retirement isn't sitting at home and watching wheel of fortune all day. And if that's what you want to do, that's wonderful. But ultimately I think it's just giving one the option and really the opportunity to, to make those decisions. And, uh, so yes, you know, it's really following your passion and, and, uh, and, uh, really just having the option to do so. Right. I know we've talked about this a lot, but I just have one last thing to add to this as well as when you're financially independent, you also have the ability to take bigger risks in your life. You know, how many people do you know that they have kids, a mortgage, lots of payments, and they can't really seem to get out from under that. But if you're financially independent, you have the ability to take a few more risks in your life because those set costs that you have to cover are taken care of. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point, Ron, is that uh, it's the opportunity cost, right? So for instance, let's say one is involved in some type of job or whatever the case may be, and they really aren't enjoying what they're doing. Well, if you hit that point where you're financially independent, it does open up the opportunity to spend time on other ventures, maybe starting a business, being entrepreneurial, or really doing whatever <clears throat> uh, suits suits your wants, I guess. Uh but it, I think the opportunity cost and the ability to spend time elsewhere, I think, is is really is really an important factor. And I think the really big thing when, when we talk about fire is that you know retirement can mean just so many different things to everyone. It's and it, I think it's really humbling if you can get to a position where you have that financial dependence and you can make your own choices. So for everyone, that's different, but uh, that's really what I to me what fire is about. I love it. Okay, so we've expanded on financial independence, and now let's get into the real estate side of things. So we're going to touch on uh, three things, and Michael, if you have anything else to throw in here, uh, feel free to do so, but cash flow, appreciation, and tax advantage. So let's okay. kick it off with number one, the most important thing, maybe even more important than location, 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 is cash flow. Absolutely. So yeah. So, and I think as you started the podcast, you said there's many vehicles to get to financial independence. Certainly real estate isn't the only vehicle, but it's one that has been proven for a number of years to work. And it works really well uh, if you, if you, you know, know what you're doing in the sense. So cash flow is one way we can protect ourselves to make sure that, you know, ultimately that the cash inflows exceed the cash outflows, as I'm sure, you know. And uh, so, yeah, ca- I think cash flow is really important. I think one you know, and I, I know you've talked about this on previous podcasts yourself, Ron, is um, one way we can increase the cash flow, maybe not necessarily from the rental, is by having the ability to have a rental suite or a rental unit. And I think the coin term for this is like a house hack, I guess, um, where if you if you have an opportunity to even rent a room out or a basement or half duplex, whatever the case may be, that not only provides you cash flow, but it also provides you more uh, savings uh, such that uh, about 40% of one's expenses go to living. And if you're able to save 
most, if not all of that by having rental income supplement that you automatically save that, that, uh, foregone 40%. And, uh, so yeah, cash flow is really important. I think a lot of times we think of cash flow, like, okay, if I buy a property just for investment, of course it needs to cash flow. But I think we forget about the personal side, which is, well, what if you're just starting and, uh, and maybe you're, you don't have the funds or the capital to, you know, buy all these big real estate deals. Um, you know, one way that, that what my wife and I have done that's really propelled us is we, we started in April, 2016, we bought our first home. We had a legal basement suite. And uh, a few years later, we bought another property, which also had a basement suite, and then we house hacked. So we had two suites, well, I guess it'd be three doors rented where we lived in the fourth one. So we had two homes that had the, the legal suites. And this is, if one can do something to that effect, even if you can rent a room out, you know, or have that sup- supplement, you know, your living costs, it can really push you forward. So um, so yeah, I guess the big thing is cash flow is really important. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so we'll, we'll, we'll stay there on that topic unless you have anything to add on that. Well, I, I just want to add one caveat to this, cause I know you are an investor, Michael, and I think uh, your input on this could be valuable for someone who is watching this podcast, who hasn't even started their, their rental portfolio yet, but tell us some of the important factors of cash flow Cause it's not as simple as just minusing your mortgage and then taking the rent. Can we go into a little bit more in depth of what kind of makes up that cash flow number? Absolutely. So ultimately you have two things to consider. You have your cash inflows versus your outflows. And ultimately the goal is to have something left over. So your cash inflows will be your rent revenue. Now, sometimes you may be able to generate other sources of revenue, whether you have laundry or parking or other supplemental sources of revenue that can help bring the generate the cash inflows, but you're correct. And I think a lot of times when we analyze properties, it's easy to forget about expenses. Uh, so mortgage in terms of principal and interest is definitely, you're going to be one of your largest cash outflows, but uh, things like property taxes, things like insurance uh, repairs and maintenance. This is one where I think a lot of folks don't think about is the upkeep of a property, particularly if the property is an older property and may have some deferred maintenance. Uh, so those are kind of your big ones. And then of course, if you have a manager, um, some utilities that you're responsible for. So those are kind of your main cash outflows. And really, if you're not really sure about those outflows, you can definitely do a pretty good job of estimating. And uh, I'm sure as you know, Ron, normally estimating higher than then, you know, what you may expect is always good practice. Um, so, so yeah, those are, those are kind of the big pieces. Correct. And even in your soft costs of if you don't have the building rented out for a month, you know, you have to account for that while you're, you know, making your budget that maybe there might be a month that you don't have this place rented out, whether that costs you in advertising, uh, what have you, but there's lots of different things to, to build your numbers and, and probably the best way for someone to, to get into the rental property game is to start, but then also track very carefully what's going in, what's going out. And uh, it might, you know, depend on different locations, but moving on to the next one, Michael, the tax advantage of owning a rental property. Okay. Um, <clears throat> there's lots we can say here. So as, as you know, I am a CPA and I, and I firstly, as a caveat, I just want to 
you know, remind everyone that definitely consult your, your accountants that are helping you with this. Uh, and I'll just kind of comment on some of the general aspects. So <clears throat> one of the biggest ones that I think we, we can sort of take advantage of is CCA, which is depreciation for tax. And uh, CCA is a non-cash expense that one can claim on a, on a revenue property that's depreciable. Of course, if you have building and land, you can only depreciate the building because land is not depreciable because it's, uh, we can't determine the useful life of the land. Um, so, so in that sense, CCA is a really, really big tax advantage for, um, for folks that have a rental property. Now, you can't claim CCA on a principal residence. So that's important to note. It has to be a revenue property. Um, another tax advantage would be just the fact that uh, um, expenses incurred to generate that rental income can be deducted. Now, of course, you, you want to consult, you know, um, interpretation bulletins and, and your tax accountant to see which expenses, if you have any specific questions on what may or may not be deducted. Um, but yeah, so, <clears throat> so that's a big one too, is just understanding that, you know, that general rule where if you've incurred an expense to generate that income, that can be written off or deducted. Um, so that, that's a big uh, tax advantage. Another one that, um, I think we don't talk enough about is the principal residence exemption. Now there's different ways that you can claim the principal residence exemption effectively for, for homes that are, that are considered your principal residence. There's rules on what that may consider. Uh, you can claim the principal residence exemption and, and be eligible to, to have all or part of that gain on sale to be tax-free. So that's a big one too. And there's ways that you could utilize the principal resident exemption to sort of, to, to benefit. So there's, there's, you know, there's certainly a lot of tax advantages in, in, in Canada to, to help uh, folks with, with uh, sort of the, the, uh, the tax side. Oh, I guess one other one too, is that really with real estate, it's a debt play, right? Where we're, we're leveraging the property uh, to, to, to purchase. And by leveraging you, as, as you know, you have interest and that interest is tax deductible. So I think that's a big area where sometimes we, we, we think of, well, you know, particularly for rental property, sometimes it may not make sense to pay the equity down so quickly because the interest itself, you'll lose the interest that you can deduct off that income. And certainly I think folks, that have debt right now on rentals would have seen this in the last few years when we've had record low interest rates, where your interest expense, uh, in other words, your interest deductions have been a lot less than in previous years because we had higher interest rates about four or five years ago. I'm sure you know, uh, Ron, you probably know more about that than me, but uh, as interest rates are going to rise here, of course, that's going to increase the cost of capital. And so really that does allow you to deduct that from rental income. And I think that's a, that's a easy area that we tend to forget that like, of course, responsible leverage always, but leverage allows you to deduct that uh, cost of borrowing. So if I could maybe make a generalization, Michael, and, and maybe it might be helpful for, some, for helpful for some people. If we're looking at buying a rental property, we're essentially taking on a little business. And with that business, you know, this is where our, our income and our expenses and our, our write-offs come in because you're essentially running this rental business. Absolutely. A rental property is a business. And I think sometimes we forget that. And even if you have 
a room rental or a basement suite or any type of property, like that is a business, right? And your customer is your resident who's living there. And uh, so, the, you know, I think that's a great point, Ron, is that we have to think of our rental property as a small business. And of course, you know, it is a fairly passive source of uh, uh, as a business, but it's still a business and it's treated like a business. So yeah, that's a really good point. Awesome. Moving on to one of my favorites, and it's been very high for Canadian real estate, you know, in the last 10 years, it's been especially true for our major markets, not as much as, uh, you know, here in Saskatchewan, as we do have a much more level economy, but we are seeing increases is appreciation of the property. Now, this can happen in a few different ways. uh, But I'll throw it to you, Michael appreciation. What, What can we say about that? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think uh, you're right. I think we've seen a lot of appreciation over the past several years. Um, it's a significant benefit to real estate. Um, it's one that you don't really get with stocks or any other asset class. With real estate, you know, not only do you get the equity pay down, but you also get the the upside of of the property gaining in value. And there's different ways of that 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 can happen for, you know, your sort of single family or, you know, your small multi-unit buildings, your typically, your appreciation is really tied to the comparables in the market. Whereas a larger property is sort of evaluated based on the income or the net NOI, the net operating income of that property. So they, they, they are different, but in other words, the appreciation is tremendous and it's fantastic. And, and I think what's important to note too, Ron, and uh, we, maybe we can have a quick chat on this is just in with inflation, the way it is right now, appreciation is somewhat inevitable. And what do I mean by that is when we think of a home, you know, we think of all the inputs, the labor and all the energy that goes into building a home. Well, all of that has increased in price. And what that means is as new construction goes up, that'll also lift up used home prices and, and any type of real estate. And by, by having even just a home or rental, whatever, any kind of exposure to real estate, um, as inflation rises, you should see that in real estate prices because, you know, the cost of drywall, the cost of that labor is all going up and that's going to push everything up. So I think, you know, the regular appreciation of just having a hot real estate market is one thing, but I think we have to also think about why that also may be. And when you have inflation the way it is, you, you know, having that that exposure to real estate really puts you in a good position. Yes, real estate has been one of the asset classes that does perform well in inflation. Reason being is you can lock in a mortgage or a loan for a term. And while you are paying maybe a fixed or a variable amount of money, your house is likely rising in value as more and more money is pouring into an asset class. Now, I, I guess probably it's, it's a good time to maybe have the, the discussion about rising rates and how that might also bring down the, the cost of housing. And depending on how much those rates do rise, uh, could have that negative effect on the asset class. So uh, one thing I like to talk to all of my clients about is the fact that, you know, how far can rates go up in the Canadian economy? And depending on that, uh, that will what that's what we're going to see from a from a housing crash standpoint. And the reason I say that we're probably not going to get a housing crash is because the government doesn't have the ability anymore to raise rates 
to where they probably should be because everyone has a lot of debt, government more so than anyone. 100%. I am <clears throat> I 100% agree. And I think that's a great point in conversation that you have because, you know, do rates have to go up? They, they, they should um, just, you know, to, to combat the inflation. Typically, that's one of the tool, tools the government uses. But the, 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 the question is, can they do that? And I don't think they can. They've, uh, they've done it. They've raised rates recently by 25 basis points. We're likely to see maybe a little bit more of increase, but there will become a point, if you want to call it sort of a breaking point, where when you start raising rates too quickly, you do sort of cause self-inflicted pain that way on, on the real estate market and the economy. And, and truthfully, the government doesn't want to do that, uh, but uh, you know they don't really... They won't have much choice other than to either drop rates again or just stop raising them. So no, I'm with you. I don't think rates are gonna. I think we're gonna see record low rates for decades. Well, and what we saw in 2018, I, I believe it was. I hopefully I'm not misquoting that year. Was the entrance of the mortgage stress test, and this is a qualifying rate that all borrowers are put through in Canada when you're buying a mortgage. So right now that stress test stress test is 5.25% or whatever your rate is plus 2%. So now as you have people who are coming into these slightly higher rate environments, you know, just last year, we were seeing anywhere from, you know, one and a half percent to 2% on the fixed side, you have people coming in and they're saying, oh, wow, rates are up to 3.25%. Historically, not high at all, but these borrowers have all been pre-qualified under a 5.25% interest rate, meaning that as far as the government of Canada is concerned, based on their ratios, these borrowers should be able to afford this mortgage. So technically, you would have to see a rising of fixed rates to 5.25% to, to get Canadians to the point where they were feeling that pinch in their government ratios. That's a really interesting point. I, I didn't know the details on the stress tests. It'll be interesting to see whether we even get anywhere close to that. I, I think the probability of that is 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 low, um, personally. But uh, who knows? I mean, things are pretty hot right now, and if folks can handle a higher mortgage payment, particularly those that have variable, then you know, then maybe they will continue raising rates. The problem too, as you said, Ron, earlier, is that it's not just consumer debt. It's debt, it's corporate debt, government debt, it's debt everywhere. So <clears throat> as the Bank of Canada raises their rates, the rates are going to go up for everyone, including the government. So we'll see. I guess it, that's, the, that's the million dollar question, I think, is how high are these rates going to go? So because we are talking about appreciation, I think it might be good to just quickly touch on, Michael, the fact that while appreciation is a nice bonus, if you are getting into rental properties, it's not probably not something that you should count on in your hard numbers. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, although it is a benefit, you can't count on it. It's the same, the same thing true with interest rates. If you're if you're looking at a rental property or even, you know, um, whatever, the, whatever property you're looking at, and you're just assuming that a one point whatever percent or two point whatever percent mortgage rate is going to stay there forever, I think that would be unwise and, and really potentially harmful. And I think assuming that the market's going to continue appreciating the way it has been, you know, indefinitely, I think is also is also potentially a recipe 
uh, for disaster. But that being said, I think, you know, I, I think there's reason to believe that appreciation will still happen, but you don't want to, you know, you know, buy an overpriced asset and think that it's going to double in value, for instance, or whatever the case Correct. may be. So wonderful. Awesome points, Mike. I, I think we've covered a lot of ground here. And you know, even myself, I, I love chatting about these topics. So uh, thanks so much for indulging me here with this. Before we let you go, Michael, one of the questions I love to ask everyone who comes on the podcast is if you could go back and give advice to a younger version of yourself, what would that advice be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, probably read Rich Dad, Poor Dad as soon as possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but moreover, I think just just get in the game. And I'm sure you've had other, uh, you know, other folks that have said similar things. But, you know, the younger you start, the better. And of course, age isn't the main driver. But with real estate, time is money. And uh, just getting involved as quick as possible and getting exposure and learning as much as possible too, I think is good. And, and particularly on the financial independence side, if you can get in a position where even if you're just starting out, if you can rent a room out to a buddy or a friend or, you know, buy something that has some type of ability that it can be rented, it'll significantly propel you forward uh, tremendously. So yeah, I would probably say get in the game sooner and, uh, you know, it's, um, and just get educated. So the, the knowledge gained is almost as important as getting the asset itself, right, Michael, like the ability to know how to navigate all these different, uh, you know, twists and turns in the road of buying a, a piece of real estate and learning all these things is once you have that baked in, you've literally learned a brand new skill set. Exactly. The one that no one can take away from you, mind you, right? There's no technology or anything that'll ever take away what your your personal development and knowledge. And and the nice thing is we're in an and we're in in an information age such that podcasts like yours, Ron, and and others really, you know, there's so much great content out there. And I think people uh, there, there's no excuse to 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 learn and get educated, especially now. So. Awesome. Michael, I really appreciate your, your time and your information. If people are looking for a little more information or if they want to, to check out some of the pages that you're on, where can they find you? Yeah, thanks, Ron. I really appreciated the interview. It was a lot of fun. So I have a YouTube channel called Be Financial Mechanic. It's um, literally there just to talk about financial education, the economy, stocks, business, finance. Uh, as real estate as well. So if you're, yeah, if you're interested in, in connecting that way, uh, you can subscribe there. And, uh, and also we have a Facebook page here in, in Saskatchewan called Saskatchewan fire through real estate. Uh, so if you're interested in financial independence or the fire movement at all, uh, we're always, uh, welcome, uh, we're always welcoming new members. So feel free to join that. And we do monthly meetings there, uh, super informal. And, uh, we just, you know, help each other out and uh, talk about fire and real estate and so on. So we have lots of fun there. So wonderful. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michael. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for checking out this week's episode with Michael and I. I hope you enjoyed the episode and found it informative. If you did, please hit the like and subscribe button. And if you're looking for more information on Saskatchewan real estate, feel free to check out our social channels below. I'm Ron Caroni, your Saskatchewan mortgage professional. Until next week, bye for now.